why don't you all go ahead and take out your Bibles, open up to Psalms. We are going to continue in our series, Songs for Our Heart, and, um, you know, studying this week for this psalm and, and just going over this psalm again, it, what a wonderful psalm here in Psalm 33. It's, it's a praise psalm, and I've actually titled the message tonight, Primer on Praise. This is like the praise 101. If you don't know how to praise or you have problems praising, you turn to this psalm because this psalm will give you everything you need to begin a life of praise before the Lord. And before we go any further, let's ask the Lord to bless our time in his word. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, Lord. And Father, as we were praising your name, Lord, help us to uh, dive into this psalm. Uh, speak to us. Speak to our hearts, Father God, Lord. Um, I pray that you would increase that praise that happens naturally within us as we think about and we contemplate you and your name, Father. Lord, um, we just we, we want to lead lives of worship, and we know that worship goes far beyond just the songs that we sing, but Lord, worship is that song that's in our heart all the time. And so we just ask that you would speak that to us. Help us to learn that, Father God. Help us to internalize that and help us to obey um, the command to, that you are worthy of worship and that that, that fulfills our ultimate uh, reason that you created us was to enjoy you and glorify you forever. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So the psalm that's before us tonight, it's the last of four psalms that is untitled and has no author. It has no author attributed to it, but the Septuagint will... Um, put it towards David. And so if you're, if you're not unfamiliar with what the Septuagint is, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. And when they got together, they, they got like a, a tens, hundreds of translators together to create a Greek translation um, back when the Greeks had um, conquered Israel and conquered that region. They, they uh, made a uh, Septuagint, a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible for them. And it was their way because the Greeks, what they did was when they conquered, they would convert everybody over to their culture, their language, everything. And so that's where that comes from. Now, just because it's untitled and because there's no author attributed to it does not mean that it has any less power within it as those that have titles and those that have identified authorship. Because what this psalm is going to teach us is it's going to teach us about praise. It's going to teach us about why we praise, how we praise, and ultimately what praise does for us. The verbs in this psalm, they are plural, and that gives indication that this psalm is written to include the worshiping community at the sanctuary of the temple of the Jews, and therefore also for us here tonight. The entire psalm is devoted to praise. And as I said, it, it's an introduction of praise. And so if you're unfamiliar with praise and why and all that, and like, man, why, why does everybody show up for praise and worship? Isn't that just the buffer time to get to church? No, praise is part of the service of church. And this is going to tell us why. There's a quote from Sir William Temple about worship. He says, to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of God. 
wow, if praise does all that, how important is it to praise our God? That is a wonderful definition of worship because it goes beyond, well beyond that functional view of worship, that worship is just singing a couple of hymns. Uh, Worship is just repeating a few choruses or that worship is only in the prayer, the offering or in a message of some kind with a conclusion. You see, when we talk about praise and worship, we need to be asking ourselves this question. Do you have worship? Or a better way to phrase that question, does God, through worship of him, have you? Let's start in this wonderful psalm. It says, rejoice in the Lord, you righteous ones. Praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the lyre. Make music to him with a ten-stringed harp. Sing a new song to him. Play skillfully on the strings with a joyful shout. For the word of the Lord is right and all his work trustworthy. He loves the righteousness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the Lord's unfailing love. The heavens were made by the word of the Lord and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the sea into a heap and he puts the depths into storehouses. Let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came into being. He commanded and it came into existence. The Lord frustrates the counsel of the nations. He thwarts the plans of the people and the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen to be his own possession. The Lord looks down from heaven and he observes everyone. He gazes on all the inhabitants of the earth from his dwelling place. He forms the heart of them all. He considers all their works. A king is not saved by a large army, a warrior not rescued by great strength. The horse is a false hope for safety and it provides no escape by its great power. But look, the Lord keeps his eye on those who fear him, those who depend on his faithful love to rescue them from death and to keep them alive in famine. We wait for the Lord. He is our help and shield. For our hearts rejoice in him because we trust his holy name. May your faithful love rest on us, Lord, for we put our hope in you. What an awesome song. I mean, that psalm can, it covers the gamut of who our great God is, right? And so as we consider praise and we're thinking about that this is a primer on praise, the number one thing that we see out of this psalm is that praise is fitting. Praise is not an awkward thing that God's people do. Praise is something expected of God's people because it's right. That's what the psalmist was writing in the first three verses. It says, rejoice in the Lord, you righteous ones. Praise from the upright is beautiful. And you praise the Lord with the lyre. You make music to him with a 10 stringed harp, sing a new song to him and play skillfully on the strings with a joyful shout. So it begins with a call. The call is rejoice in the Lord. That's what praise is. We're rejoicing in the Lord. We're not lamenting the fact that we have to follow God. We're happy that we get to be with God because he decided that that's what he wanted. 
And so we're called to celebrate in the Lord. Literally, that word for rejoice in the Lord literally means to produce a song with the voice as a response of joy in the Lord. Re produce a responding song of joy to the Lord and it's to be put out by the righteous ones. That's who God wants praising him. God's not asking the unrighteous to praise him. We can't expect the unrighteous to praise God. But we who are the righteous, the call for us is to praise his name. Because praise from the upright, praise from the righteous is beautiful. You might think, well, you've never heard me sing before. It doesn't matter. There's other psalms that we're going to cover later on in our series that say, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Notice it doesn't say, sing a beautiful tune. It says, make a joyful noise. So out of the rejoicing of our heart, we sing to the Lord. The upright that it's speaking of, it's, it's speaking of those whose behavior and those whose way of being is in accordance with a standard. The upright are those who match up to what God has called. And it's seen as those who are right, those who are proper, those who are suitable. Their praise is an appropriate response to the Lord. And that word praise is the Hebrew word and it's pronounced T-He-La. There's a spelling test later, so I will pronounce it one more time. T-He-La. Tehila. It means worship or offering of words. That's what our praise and our worship is. It's our offering of words to the Lord. And it's an it, it's a act of worship. And here's the truth that we need to, to get and internalize. It is fitting and proper action for those who've experienced the grace of God and the forgiveness of God to praise the Lord. Psalm 147 verse 1 says, Hallelujah, how good it is to sing to our God for praise is pleasant and lovely. And Psalm 100 verse 3 says, Acknowledge that the Lord is God, that he made us, that we are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. When one recognizes it is by God's grace that they've been saved, it should be no problem to praise him. If we consider what it really means that God's grace is what saves us, we would have no problem to praise him. And so the psalmist also instructs, not only is praise fitting, but then the psalm says, here's how praise fits. How is praise to be done? And the psalmist gives us two statements, that praise is to be done instrumentally and vocally. Everyone can praise him. Everyone who is righteous can praise the Lord. I want you all to know that as you come into worship service and the worship team is up here, they're not the only ones that are called to praise the Lord. We're all called to come in together and with one voice praise his great holy name. It says make music in the sense of sing praises, offer praises to him using your voice as an instrument. The voice is to sing with a joyful shout. Notice it doesn't say the voice is to sing perfectly in key and harmony with melody, 
No, it says with a joyful shout. If all you can do is shout, you can praise the Lord. It's a loud, joyful utterance. You know what a praise to God is? It's a warlike cry or a cry for battle. When the world is beating you down, when what's going on in your life has you down, the way to victory is to start shouting praises for your God. There's pictures of this all throughout the Bible of how praising the Lord brings victory to his people. I mean, I can't think of any other than Jericho. Remember what they were commanded to do when they were uh, going up against the city of Jericho? He said, march around the city seven times and shout. And they would shout and they would blow the trumpet and they were praising God's name. They never had to do anything and those walls came tumbling down. We, we sang um, a song that had that word, a special word of praise, hallelujah. We've talked about this before when I started this series, but hallelujah. Um, you break that word down, it's hallels to yah. Hallels are praises. Yah is a shortened version of Yahweh, praises to God. And did you know that hallelujah is the same in every single language? You can go to any country in the world, and say hallelujah to another Christian, and they can join with you in praising God by saying hallelujah. Then it says that the instruments, so the voice is to sing with a joyful shout. The instruments are to be played skillfully. Here's where I'll give you guys a break. You don't know how to play an instrument? You don't have to to praise the Lord. If you're going to play an instrument to the Lord, it's commanded to do it skillfully. We don't do it haphazardly haphazardly. We don't play the harp if we don't know how to play the harp in that way. It's to be skillful because it's, it's talking about taking the time to practice and to learn the instrument. And the idea is that praise is an offering to the Lord and we are to offer the best of our skill and our ability that he has given us. Those of you that can play musical instruments, those of you that are able to do that, understand that that is a gift given to you from God and it's not meant for you to take it and do like the wicked man did with his talent and bury it in the sand. That is meant for you to take that gift and you use it to lead God's people in singing his praises. That is your offering and your sacrifice back to God. It should be the best talent that a person has should be offered to God when praising him. We can't come before God and, and think that we're praising him in any way. When we come before him, we're like, yay, God's so great. Woohoo. Like, he wants us to have our whole being into it. We're like, praise the Lord, you know? Um, we have to come at him with everything that we have. And then the other thing is, is we're all supposed to keep our praise fresh. So that means we're not supposed to do old songs ever again. No, I'm just totally joking. The instruction says, sing a new song to him. But did you know that a new song can be a song sung in a new time of your life? It can be an old song sung at a new time in your life. It can be an old song sung in a new expression. I hear it from a lot of people, you know, they're really down on Chris Tomlin and how he redoes all those hymns. But you know what? He's singing to the Lord a new song. When we take another artist's song and, and we sing it, we're singing a new song to the Lord. 
We're, we're taking it and, and we're going to put our very best on it. And it's quite fascinating how the spirit of God can make an old song new to us all over again as our knowledge of God and our knowledge of his word grows. As we know God more, those songs have more meaning to us. Those songs all of a sudden hit us deeper. And as we sing those songs, as our knowledge of him grows, our experience of his presence is fresh as well. Now, to be sure that command, sing to him a new song, also means that he, through his spirit, can open up our hearts to singing a brand new song to him. Completely new to us, completely new to him. Remember, old songs can be new, but new songs are just as loved by God. Praise is fitting and it should be spontaneous and fresh. You see, new mercies require new songs done well. And Lamentation says that we have new mercies every day. You will never run out of God's grace because it's new and it's fresh for you every day. As long as you hang on to him, as long as you abide in him, you have a new mercy for each and every day. You have new mercy for each and everything he calls you to walk through. And you have new reason to praise his great and glorious name. Now that's all the fun part about worship. Here, here's where a primer on praise, we have to talk about Praise must focus on his word. We can't just sing any song we want to God. We can't just sing any, just because the words sound great because they rhyme together doesn't mean they're theologically correct. Verse four, the psalmist says, for the word of the Lord is right and all his work is trustworthy. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the Lord's unfailing love. The heavens were made by the word of the Lord, all the stars by the breath of his mouth. It says he gathers the water of the sea into a heap and he puts the depths into storehouses. Let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came into being. He commanded and it came into existence. When, when, when I contemplate and I think about the word of the Lord and the power that it has behind it, the, the faithfulness that it has behind it, the fact that the word of the Lord is right. When we sing to the Lord, if we sing according to his word, we never have to worry about what we're singing because it's always right. It's always true. It's always trustworthy. It has to focus on God's word because God's word is the only thing that is 100% true and 100% right all the time. Essentially, the greatest importance is our praise and our worship offered to God must be scriptural. We can't just sing anything that we want. And you won't, we, we won't do that here. All of our songs go through, we, we check it for its theological correctness, we check it for its scriptural um, integrity, and we will not sing a song if it does not match those things. We have no more right to sing a lie than I do to speak a lie, to teach contrary to God's word. We can't sing contrary to his word in the same way that we can't teach contrary to his word. We have to be aware, not all songs are doctrinally correct. 
God's work is trustworthy because it's according to his word. God loves righteousness and justice. And because of all these things are established by his word. We know that God is just because his word says so. And then he establishes his word to show us it's true. We know that, that God is trustworthy because he says it in his word and then he fulfills it in his actions. We know that he loves righteousness and all that. And, and so we want to do it according to his word. And, and here's the thing about his word. God's word is the power of God. God's word is powerful. By it, God has spoken. By it, God has put himself out there. And when he speaks, he holds himself to his word. Jesus himself said, heaven and earth may pass away, but my word shall never, shall never uh, fade away, pass away. It shall, it, it'll never be void. And through his word, God has revealed himself. So when we sing according to his word, we know that we're singing right things about God. We know that we're singing right things that he himself has revealed about himself. We know that through his word, God also created. I mean, think about it. When we sing according to his word, it's a good thing. When we sing contrary to his word, we're singing contrary to the word that through the very speaking of brought everything into existence. If you recount the six days of creation, God said, let there be, and then there was. By the word of the Lord, he spoke and the heavens were made. By the stars in the sky came out of the breath of his mouth. If you've ever studied astronomy to understand that that sun that lights our days, that brings us that glorious heat, all triple digits of it right now. It's millions of miles away. If you stand up close to it, the earth is like an atom in the whole sphere of it. That came out of the mouth of God because he spoke it and it came into being. He commanded and it came into existence. God's word is powerful. And in it, what he's commanded and what he's spoken will come to pass. And so we need to honor his word as it deserves to be honored. And when we sing, we sing according to his word. What God decrees happens. And so we praise according to his right and his true word. Because people one day are going to be in a time of their life and they need to hold on to the truth of God. And if they have a song that comes to their mind and it is a false thing of God, they're going to slip. They're going to fall. As we consider creation and we consider God's word concerning it, we're confronted with the fact that God's love is unfailing. All through the earth. His love is unfailing. There's not a spot on earth that you can go to where it's like, oh, God's love doesn't reach there. Oh, right there, God's love will fail you. No, all over the earth. It doesn't matter where you're at. You can be high above the earth. You can be down below into the depths of the earth. His word will, his, his faithful love will find you there. Rejoice in the Lord. It talks about how he gathers the waters of the sea like in a heap or a pile. 
And then it speaks, he puts the depths. He takes the floodwaters. When you think about the flood that he wiped out the whole earth with in Genesis 6, our God is the one who takes those floodwaters and stores them up. That's the power of our God. So it says that we should be in fear of the Lord. We should have this awe of the Lord. We, at the earth, should fear the one who commands by his word and it's done. The inhabitants of the earth should be in awe of the one who controls the vast power that we see in nature. It, we, we think that man has subdued the earth. Man hasn't subdued the earth. All man can do is walk upon the earth where the Lord has put him. The Lord is the one that has everything subdued. The other thing that we need to do with our praise is not only do it according to God's word, but we need to take our praise and celebrate his sovereignty. We need to celebrate the fact that God is sovereign. And, and there's great reason to celebrate the fact that God is sovereign. In verse 10, it says that the Lord frustrates the counsel of the nations. It says that he thwarts the plans of the peoples. It tells us that the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. And it says, happy is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people that he has chosen to be his own possession. If you are here tonight in Christ Jesus, I want you to know the Lord has chosen you to be his own people, his special possession. There's a truth about God that we need to celebrate, and it's his sovereignty. It's the fact that he is all-powerful. He is the one in control. We can sing and we can praise God even though that we live in a time right now where the nations of the world are the most ungodly, where the neighbors in our community might be the most ungodly, where our own government might be the most ungodly. But we can still praise our Lord. Why? Because the ungodly are around? No, because we look around at the ungodly and we know God is still in control and he's not going to let it go on forever. We know because his word tells us that God frustrates the counsel of nations. How many nations have tried to wipe out God's chosen country of Israel? How many times have they tried it? By all accounts, it should have happened. The day that Israel became a nation again back in 1948, it should have happened. But the Lord frustrates the counsel of nations. God literally breaks their counsel. Literally, it means he breaks their plans. He thwarts and he discourages the plans of people. That means that whatever anybody plots against you, God rules and reigns in. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 8.10, devise a plan, it will fail. Make a prediction, it will not happen. For God is with us. We can sing and we can praise about that because there can be things going on in our life and you know what? They don't get the last say in it. You know who gets the last say in your life and what's going on in your life and where it's going to end up? God has the last say. Praise his name. Isaiah 19.3, it says, Egypt's spirit will be disturbed within it, and I will frustrate their plans, says the Lord. 
Then they will inquire of worthless idols, ghosts, mediums, and spiritists. He's saying, I'm going to frustrate their plans, and here's what they're going to do. They're going to go to inanimate objects and things that aren't even alive. When I say nations here, even our own nation, we think that we can refuse to permit God to rule, but you know what happens? God just overrules, and he accomplishes his will and desires. He turns the policies and plans of nations into nothingness. You see, God is sovereign, and it's never changed, and it never will change. He is sovereign throughout all time. His word is established because he's the one that's able to establish it. His counsel stands forever. His heart plans from generation to generation. You know, all the way back at the beginning when he made the promise to Abraham, he was able to fulfill that promise that all the nations through Abraham's seed would be blessed. He promised to bring the Messiah about through the seed of Israel, and he kept it up. Even though he had to punish Israel, even though he had to take them out, even though he had other empires come in and conquer them, he established his word. He promised that the Messiah would come through them, so therefore he also saved a remnant of them. He kept them. He brought them back. And the greatest evidence of this happened in 1948 when Israel became a country again after they were a defeated people for thousands of years. They were brought back again. And they continue to survive. And they're not just barely scraping by. I don't know if you know this, but Israel's prospering. How many Nobel Peace Prize winners are there from the nation of Israel? How many diseases have been cured by the nation of Israel? How many... Um, other problems that they've solved. They, they've learned how to grow food in the desert. And they, sh you, know, you, you know the greatest thing about this? When I went to Israel, we passed by all these um, farms that they had out there. Um, I'm going to forget the name for them. Um, but they uh, taught everything they know to their neighbors as well. Each and every neighboring country that hates them and wants to see them wiped off the face of the earth. They shared with them how to grow food in the middle of the desert. I want to say it's a kibbutz. Okay. My brain finally, it's all click, 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 click. Oh, lined up. <laughs> and so they, his counsel stands forever. He said that nothing would ever destroy Israel. He told Israel, here's my promise to you. As long as the sun and the stars and the moon are in the sky, you're my people. It's a hard thing to believe when they were in a country for thousands of years. And then in 1948, all of a sudden, the nations came together and said, you know what? What was done to these people is terribly and horrific, and we should give them a nation. And they gave them a nation. I know that they've had to fight, and there's been uh, turmoil there ever since, but when is there not turmoil when God says, this is what I want? God's plans foils the plans of other nations and his purposes are sustained no matter what people decide to do. Proverbs 19.21 says, many plans are in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's decree that will prevail. And we need to find joy and comfort in that because it means he even overrules you. Maybe you're walking down and you're doing something that God doesn't want you to do or something that God has told you not to do or whatnot, and he can even overrule you. 
You might be going, well, I can show that God doesn't have me and he won't keep me till the end, like he said. And I'm just going to walk this way and God's going to be like, you know what? I get to overrule you also. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord. America forgot this. We used to say, God bless America. And it wasn't because we were asking for God to bless America. It's because we were acknowledging that God blessed America because America was focused on God. And says, happy are the people he's chosen to be his own possession. And I don't know about you, but knowing that the Lord chose me and he calls me his own possession and knowing other scriptures in which it says that he paid a steep price for me. I don't know if you knew this or not, but if God was out of the picture, I'm, I'm worthless. But God paid the priceless blood of his son, Jesus, and he did it for you as well. You are his prized possession, chosen and separated unto him. Their plans and their ways are not disrupted and overruled because their plans are God's plans. The nation that follows God the people that follow God, their plans are established because they're following God. Surely, a God with such powerful words and powerful works is to be praised, right? May we praise God so that we never lose the wonder of being the people of God. You see, praise prepares our heart and sets our heart to focus on God so that we never lose the wonder of God. When people say, hey, I've, I've lost that wonder of God, I've lost that awe of God, there's two things. Are you in his word and are you worshiping him? Because if you're doing those things, you will never lose the awe of God. And then finally, we need to rejoice in his faithful love. We need to rejoice in his faithful love says, the Lord looks down from heaven. He observes everyone. He gazes on all the inhabitants of the earth from his dwelling place. He forms the hearts of them all and he considers all their works. A king is not saved by a large army. A warrior will not be rescued by great strength. The horse is a false sense of hope for safety. It provides no escape by its great power. But look, the Lord keeps his eye on those who fear him those who depend on his faithful love to rescue them from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our praise should rejoice in the faithful love of God because he never fails. He never gives up. He never is going to let us go. It says that he holds us all in his palm of his hand and no one is strong enough to take us out of the palm of his hand. But did you know that when Jesus said that, he also said that I hold you in my hand and yet my father holds you in his hand. So we're doubly held. But right here we read that God is looking down from heaven above and observing everyone. This goes against the, uh, the world's philosophy that says, if there is a God, he's definitely unconcerned because of the way that things are going. No, that's completely false and wrong. God is involved. God is interested in the affairs of men. He gazes on all the inhabitants. And here's what he's doing. He's seeing it all at all the same time from his spot in heaven. He's seeing everything. He knows what's going on. And we see that not only does he see all the outward happenings, but he's also looking at what's going on on the inward. He sees each and every one of us. He knows what's going on in, in, in the world around us and in our lives around us, but he also is seeing what's going on in our hearts 
in each and every one of us individually. He knows the hurts that you're feeling. He knows the pain that you're going through. He knows what thoughts you're having. He knows the motives of the things that you're doing. And he's looking at all of that. We need to understand that God doesn't just see us. He sees through us. You can't hide from God. There's nothing in your life that escapes the eye of God. That might be a scary thought to some, but it should be a comfort. It should be a reason to rejoice. Because we can be as pretentious as we want with everybody else. We can walk through those doors and the moment somebody says, hey, how's it going? We can put on that face and we can smile. We go, oh, I'm doing just fine. I have no problems. I love God. God loves me and so my life's perfect. And the rest of us go, yeah, right, whatever. (laughs) Or we can understand that though we hide our sin from everyone else, God sees it and therefore we we can't get away with it. We can't be fake with God. We can't pull the wool over God's eyes. And if we're hurting, we can be honest with God. Because we live in a world in which right now it looks like wickedness is prospering. We live in a time and a culture right now where the righteous are being put down, silenced, and and we're being called extremists. There was a time where extremists only applied to like one religion and and really it was only the ones that, you know, ended with a bang. Sorry, that was a bad joke. (laughs) But they're, they're applying it to those who love Christ and preach that we have to follow his standards, his ways, his things. But we need to find comfort in the fact that nothing escapes God's eyes. Those wicked aren't going to be able to stand up on judgment day and go, well, what are you going to do with the rest of those guys? I was just fine. And then, and then we're going to see people that snuck into heaven. That ain't going to happen. God sees it all. Those who are guilty of sin, they will face punishment and they will face wrath. And there is no escape from it. They can't hide from God. They can't pull the wool over God's eyes. That's what it means. A king is not saved from God because he has a large army. It doesn't matter how big of a kingdom he built. Even the greatest empires of the world have all crumbled. And even God has predicted that the rest of the kingdoms of the world are going to crumble. Even when the entire world unites together in a one world government, they're going to come against God and they're going to try to rebel against God. And it, it's not even a battle, guys. Read the book of Revelation. Jesus comes back and with the words of his mouth, remember those powerful words? They're struck down. A king is not saved from God by a large army, as if there was an army large enough. A warrior cannot be saved by his vast strength. It doesn't matter how strong our enemies are against us. It doesn't matter how strong they come against us. They're not going to escape God. God is watching. God knows. It says that God, I, I, I heard this, that there, there is a saying in, in the Hebrew culture. They had these jars that they would catch their tears in. And those jars were very valuable. They, they held the tears. It says that God has jars that hold all our tears in it. Why? Because he cares each and every time we cry, each and every time we're hurt, each and every time. And he promises vengeance is his. He will repay. It says the horse 
though it's powerful. The horse is fast, right? You think on a horse, on a horse I could get away from anything, right? Because it's like the ultimate all-terrain vehicle. Yet it cannot outrun God. So what hope is there? Here's the hope that's there. God is also looking at something else. He's not only seeing all the wrongs that are done. He's not only seeing all the wrong motives and intents and evil that's being done and, and all the righteous that are being oppressed. Here's what else God is seeing and keeping an eye out for. God is looking for the one who fears him. God sees each and every one who fears him. Not that they cower in fear of him, but that they stand in awe and they recognize his power, they recognize his position, and they submit to him. That's the one that God keeps his eye on. Submit to God and understand and know he's got his eye on you. The one who fears the Lord is the one who doesn't try to save themselves. They're the one who says, God knows everything and I can't hide from him and I can't escape him. Instead it says, I'm going to call upon his faithful love. I'm going to fall upon his mercy. You see, the Lord is looking down and he's looking for those who will depend upon his faithful love to rescue them. They're not going to try and defend themselves. They're not going to try and excuse themselves. They're not going to have words with God. They're going to fall on the mercy of God. So sing and shout and strum for joy. The Lord desires to save any and all who would depend upon his faithful love. That's why we sing. That's why we praise him. God doesn't save the self-confident. He only saves the God-confident. He only saves and rescues those who trust in him. Unless you trust in God, you're lost. If you try to rely on anything else, you're gone. And, it's, and it says right here, there's nothing strong enough that can pull you out of that. But those of us that know his faithful love, his rescuing love, his forgiveness that just envelops us and completely consumes us, it's a reason to praise him. We lift up his name and we, and we praise him. And, and here's the thing, there's power in praise. Did you know that? There is power in praise. In verse 20, it says, we wait for the Lord. He is our help and shield. Our hearts rejoice in him because we trust his holy name. May your faithful love rest on us, Lord, for we put our hope in you. Here's the power that comes from praising God. Praising God in his word, praising God in his sovereignty, and praising God in his faithful love. The power of praise is greater faith in God. You say, how do I get more faith? Praise his name. Praise him. Sing his praises. Sing according to his word. Sing according to his character. Sing according to his actions. Sing according to his faithful love. And you'll learn and your heart will grow to trust him for greater things. The increased faith, the psalmist closes and expresses it in three ways. The first the one who praises God is able to wait upon God as their shield and their help. In all the troubles in their life, they don't have to worry about how it's all going to work out because God is their help. When the enemy comes against them, when this, everything in the world seems to stand against them, they have no fear because God is their shield. 
And they wait patiently upon God, trusting him because he's the rescuer. He's the defense for them. The waiting is done because they hope in the Lord. From worshiping the Lord, they develop a peace in their heart and they can wait for God to work. There's songs that we sing that say, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I can't feel it, you're working. Because God has promised that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. We also know that the promise of the Lord is that the mission from Christ is to come and die and provide forgiveness and salvation for others so that at the end when he comes back again and he vanquishes out that evil kingdom, all the wicked people, all those who had trust in themselves apart from God, that he would take the righteous who are in his name and have been forgiven by him and lift them up at the end that he should lose none of them. So we can quietly wait for the Lord to work. Second, the one who praises God has their heart, the second, the one who praises has their heart rejoicing in the Lord because the heart that praises God trusts God, knowing his word, knowing his word is powerful and true, knowing that he is righteous, knowing that he is just. Anything that you go through, no longer are you going, why is God so mean? Why doesn't God love me? Why is God mad at me? When you rejoice in the Lord and you do it according to his word, you understand that the word teaches that God is good and that he takes all things and works them together for good for those who, are, who love God and are called according to his purpose. We know that he's righteous and just so that if it happens to you because God has allowed it, it's not because God has all of a sudden become unjust, but because God is going to set it right in the proper time. And so we worship and we trust in his holy name. And finally, our hope is in the Lord because of his unfailing love. That word unfailing love, we've talked about it many times. It's that Hebrew word, that, that beloved word, his hesed love. The love that never ends, that is full of strength, that it's based upon his strength. Confident that he will consummate his salvation. Psalm 130, verse 7, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for there is faithful love with the Lord, and with him is redemption and abundance. No one's going to get to the end of time, lifted up in salvation by Christ, and all of a sudden God's going to go, oh wait, I don't have enough. There's only a few tickets left, guys, I'm sorry. No, those who are in Christ will be admitted in. Redemption is in abundance. Uh, Psalm 147, verse 11. The Lord values those who fear him and those who put their hope in his faithful love. The more you trust in God's faithful love, guess what? This teaches that he values you. He looks for you. He's got his eye on you. Oh, that we would learn that praise increases our patience. When we pray, Lord, give me more patience, really what we need to do is say, Lord, teach me to praise you more. God, strengthen our peace. God says, just praise me more and you'll have peace. 
grow our hope in the Lord and give us solid confidence. But did you know that when you praise the Lord, it also increases your joy? Dare you. The next time you're feeling down, turn on some praise music. See if it doesn't change your attitude. See if it doesn't lift up your spirit and your countenance. I love this psalm. It began with joy and it ends with joy, the same way that our praise should. We start off because we're joyful in the Lord and we finish off because we're joyful in the Lord. It isn't enough to leave praise and worship feeling good, feeling better. Feelings are temporary. Feelings are fleeting. And feelings, I don't know if y'all knew this or not, but feelings can be deceptive at times. Our praise shouldn't just leave us with feelings because of all those reasons. Our praise should leave us loving God and loving his people more. Trusting God, having faith in God for greater things, having the going forth ready for battle because we've now had our battle cry because he's our strength and our shield and we can go against because we remember that his word says that upon this rock I will establish my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. You know what gates are? They're a defense. You know what that means? The church is to be on the offensive not to be offensive, but we are to take back all that wickedness and evil and sin wants to claim and we need to take it back and we need to march forward in the love and the forgiveness and the salvation of God. And I want us to remember something. It's hard for me. What I'm doing up here, one day this is done. There won't be any reason to teach God's word anymore because there is coming a time where we will be perfected in Christ. But our praise and our worship will never be over. We should be practicing now to join in that great chorus of heaven. We should note that there, there's no mention in this psalm of active enemies. There's no mention in this psalm of any type of persecution or tribulation it's a peaceful scene, and it kind of has Israel dwelling in safety, and the Lord acknowledges the universal sovereign. And so I think this psalm, what it does is it points us to that period of time in which Christ comes back to set up his rule and reign. And we are still going to be praising him for his faithful, unfailing love. When the Gentile oppression has been smashed in the time of Jacob's trouble, known as the Great Tribulation, has passed, kind of like what we read in Revelation 19. It says, After this, I heard something like the loud voice of a vast multitude in heaven, saying, Hallelujah! Salvation, glory, and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous, because he has judged the notorious prostitute who corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his servants that was on her hands. Continues on, it says, And a second time they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke ascends forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who's seated on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. A voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all his servants, ones who fear him, both small and great. 
says, then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude. You know what that vast multitude is? It's all of us. Did you know you were in the Bible? If you are in Christ Jesus, it's speaking of you here. It says the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters. It's like the rumbling of loud thunder saying, hallelujah, because our Lord God, the almighty reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory because the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. And she was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. I hope and pray that each one of us is here in Christ tonight and is part of that crowd because we're going to be joined together, shouting and praising our God and our Savior on that day. But in the meantime, we get to practice and we can praise him right here, right now. So as we close, there's going to be one final song and let's, let's praise him. Let's praise him as we've learned now. Let's praise him with hearts that are full, with hearts that are open to, and, and praise him according to his word, his rule, his reign, and his faithful love. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, Lord, and we thank you, Father God. We thank you so much for whoever this psalmist was that wrote this psalm, Father God. We thank you for the inspiration that you've given. Lord, we thank you that you give us a reason to sing. You give us a reason to shout. Father, we thank you that you give us a, a, a reason and a gift to be creative, to make noise out of weird things. Who, who would have thought that you can tightly string something and it make a, a musical sound? And Father, as you've gifted us with that creativity, as you've gifted us with voices that can carry, Father, help us to stand now and be the one that stands in awe of you and let that awe come out of our hearts, Father, and be projected through our voices as we sing praises to you. For you are worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.